This is one-on-one's NHL podcast, where we take on the five hottest issues in hockey with three of our NHL beat reporters. It's time to go five on three. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Five on Three, the NHL podcast for WFEV Sports. I am Matt Costantini, joined by Jackson Heil, and we have to welcome a brand new, brand new line mate to the show. Welcome, everyone, Jack Caldwell. Jack, how are you? I'm great, guys. I love that I have the opportunity to be on here so early, so thanks for having me. We got a fish, as uh, they'd say in uh, Prison Break. I had to give a little Prison Break <laughs> reference there, but Jack, glad to have you. Uh, thanks thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm not, sure. I gotta say, nice to have another Rangers guy on here. I've been out oh. by I've been out by Devils uh, well, for the last year, and now we get a little bit of fresh blood. I mean, are we really excited about the Rangers, guys? Are we though? Not. Eh, there's not much. I'm excited about Philip Pedel and Brett Howden, but uh, they're entertaining to watch. Like I said, I'd rather watch growing pains as opposed to underachieving old veterans like screwing up in their own end. And we're watching growing pains, which is better. I mean, technically, we're watching both at this point because we still have the to Stahl watch still Adam McQuaid and Mark <laughs> Stahl just take dumps in their own end. But. So so let's start this week's episode with the Rangers. Um, recapping their last week, they dropped their home opener in Nashville. Then they went on the road, lost to Buffalo, lost to Carolina in what was probably the craziest game of the season. Carolina came back from, what, four different deficits and won yep. eight to five? Yep. So that was a shootout. What I So I know in our... In our preview show of the East, my main point about the Rangers was how are they going to stay competitive? And right now, it doesn't look like they're going to. So what what are the expectations for the Rangers for this season? Well, I, th- I think you put it perfectly. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna come down to a lot of goaltending, I think. And to be fair, this we've we've seen we've seen teams struggle, particularly with new coaches with the new defensive system. That that that's normal. That that's going to happen. I mean, we saw it with when Elaine Vigneault replaced John Tortorella back in the thirteen fourteen season. Rangers were disastrous to start, particularly in their own zone with a new. They went with that strong side overload defensive system in their own zone and struggled for them for a while. But obviously, we saw how it ended up that year. They played really good hockey down the stretch, ended up going to the Stanley Cup final. But this year, obviously, it's it's different circumstances. I'm not going to compare this team to a Stanley Cup favorite because that's just not the reality of the situation. But it is going to take time for them to get used to a new defensive system. It's more of a 2-1-2 with their forward one covering the slot and the other two forwards covering up high with the two defensemen switching off down low. So it's going to take time for them to adjust. I'm not entirely worried because the first two games, I actually was pretty happy with what I saw. I think if it weren't for extremely poor officiating the Rangers arguably win those two games and particularly the Nashville game I mean the game-winning goal that's well not it didn't end up being the game winner but the go-ahead goal that Subban scored came off the face-off after Adam McQuaid was stick slapped in the face clear high stick that everyone in the stadium saw and it wasn't called then Buffalo scored a a goal in which they had seven seven men on the ice. So it, it was it, they they were unfortunate. Obviously, Carolina was a different story, but I'm I'm not too worried about where the Rangers are at. I think the defensive things will kind of figure themselves out. And David Quinn, obviously, the big word for him has been accountability, and that's pretty clear with what he's been doing early on. Kevin Shattenkirk's probably going to be a healthy scratch on Thursday, which is. Kind of, it's a bit confusing. Even though he has been pretty bad early on, it's, he's your best defenseman, and Kevin Hayes has been benched in the third period against Buffalo before. But accountability certainly there. I'm not the defensive stuff will kink itself out, but 
I, again, this isn't a playoff team, I don't think, but I don't think it's going to be an all-time historically bad team. Yeah, I mean, you're like I said, you're okay with seeing growing pains. The defense will get better. Their overall game plans will improve. These guys are going to continue to build chemistry together. The one aspect of this team that I am a little iffy about seeing growing pains, as you mentioned, the goaltending, how important that is. And Georgiev was brutal on Sunday, an 821 save percentage. And he's actually really important to this team because you want to extend Henrik Lundqvist's career. You're going to want Georgiev to A, be solid in net, and B, start a good amount of games. You don't want Lundqvist to carry the load. when You, you want to see him on the Rangers at the end of his deal still being a quality goaltender. This year is not the year to burn him out. So Georgiev plays a huge role in terms of now and the future in logging those minutes in net. And if he's not dependable, that's bad for him. He's going to lose confidence. The team's going to lose confidence in him. Overall, you can let these guys struggle a little bit and watch them build and improve over a season. But if Georgiev continues to play, play in net like this, that's going to, that's going to be a problem moving forward. That, that, that's a fair that's a fair worry, but I'm not entirely worried about Gorgiev. I think this is more of a situation of which he had a bad game, which the defense was a mess, and Carolina had high-quality chance after high-quality chance in this game, and the Rangers were hemmed in, in their own zone. Gorgiev is, we saw, Gorgiev is great last year when he came up from Hartford. I mean, he had, I believe he had a 918 save percentage in that time, and obviously that was in a defense that you could argue was in even worse shape than it is right now. So I think he's going to figure it out. I think that was just one struggle. Obviously, they have Tokarski down in Hartford if they want to bring him up at some point. And you have to think the goalie of the future is Igor Shestorkin over in Russia, who's been dominating for SKA, worth noting. I mean, if you look at his record, you look at his record in the KHL, it's like 66 and like three or something That's crazy, crazy like that. Uh, who is... We've established that we don't think this is a playoff team. So who was a guy that that fans can look to this year. Obviously, there's Henrik Lundqvist, so I don't think we even need to mention him. Who is a guy that the team that the team and the fans are kind of going to be looking towards either either growing or just continuing or what? Like, who is going to be the guy that people are going to be constantly looking towards? How about a dark horse pick that's emerged this season, Brett Howden? He's looked really good. He's... 59% in his face-offs. The guy's 20 years old. He's fast. He plays with grit. He plays great in both ends. And he's a guy who sort of flew under the radar in preseason and last season. And now we're really looking at him as a guy who's going to emerge. Obviously, you look at Heedle. I think Tony D'Angelo is sort of an X factor. He's a guy who, if he plays well, guy fans can get behind because he is a local guy. And we all love that around here at Fordham. <laughs> but I look at Brett Howden. If he can emerge... He can be someone who's really fun to watch throughout the season. I I think you nailed on the head with Howden. I think when you said with D'Angelo, if he plays well, I think it's more about him if if he plays. I mean, we, we've seen him be a healthy scratch. I mean, he had two assists against Carolina. He's going to be in the lineup on Thursday, paired with Mark Stahl, which is kind of pairing him to an anchor at this point, unfortunately. But I, I think if he plays, he's a guy that's going to be really fun to watch because, I mean, you you know the way he moves the puck. He has a ton of skill coming out of the back. He's a guy that can be the quarterback of a power play on a really good team one day. That, that's how good I think this guy is. He's so elusive with the puck. I know he's small and he does have some defensive issues to work out, but I, I think that's just part of the growing process for him. Obviously, Heedle's the big one, I, I think, personally, just because the, there's so much skill there. And he's looked great 
wherever they've put him in the lineup. I mean, he only played 10 minutes against Carolina and still was able to make a big impact having an assist in that game. And he just he goes to the, he goes to the tough areas and he's willing to take a hit to make the play, which is so important. And obviously, I Brett Howden's been great so far when he's been up, but I think Heedle and D'Angelo are the two real main guys that are going to be exciting players. Howden Howden is also there as well as you mentioned, but those three young guys in particular are going to be really fun to watch. For me, I think this has to be that we see significant growth out of Jimmy VC. I okay. mean, he's. He obviously made noise when he wouldn't sign his entry level contract. I forget who drafted him. It was it was Nashville. It was and then Nashville. He got traded to yeah. Buffalo. Yeah. and didn't sign. There. He made a lot of noise, not signing his contract and demanding more money and all that good stuff that we usually don't see immediately out of college players coming to the NHL. But only twenty seven points his rookie season, only twenty eight points last year. This. He, this has to be his year. He's playing in a more high-profile role. I'm sure he's going to be getting a majority of the top six time. He's most likely going to be on the power play again a majority of the time, either on that first line or a second line. It doesn't really matter. But he just needs to show that he's the guy that not only he thinks he is, but who the team thought he was when they picked him up. And... Just looking forward to their schedule, and I know that we're going to talk a little bit about the Rick Nash news that came out. They have their three-game homestand, San Jose, Edmonton, Colorado. I think you can probably chalk up losses to San Jose and Colorado. I know San Jose's kind of stumbled out of the gates a little bit. I mean, if the Islanders can beat San Jose 4 nothing, I'm I'm not buying San Jose. Early, I think they're going to end up being fine, but they still got some stuff to work out. As you mentioned. So it's a tough stretch of games coming up. I, I mean, Edmonton's Edmonton, but they're still a little dangerous. So what do we expect from this coming week out of the Rangers? Well, I think we're going to see a lot of what David Quinn really is about because obviously he's been big on accountability in his early stages as Rangers head coach. I mean, we'll see how long Shattenkirk actually is a healthy scratch. I think it's just going to be a one-game kind of reset his head. He's been talking about getting his confidence back after coming off that torn meniscus, which I think is definitely a factor at this point, but I mean, we'll, we'll see. I, I don't. I don't think we're going to learn a whole lot of stuff that's going to be new. Anything new about the Rangers in this stretch? But hey, listen, it's going to be it's going to be a tough stretch of games. Hopefully, they can figure out something defensively because it obviously Sunday against Carolina was a disaster. But again, it, it's going to take time for this new dis- defensive system to get worked in. The penalty kill in particular has looked really bad. So I, I'm just look again, j- just looking for growth, looking to looking to get these guys big young these young guys big minutes. And and that's really all I'm looking for. It's not. A, it's more about the process as opposed to the result this year. That was always the plan coming in. So I'm I'm not too worried about where things are going. Listen, if the results aren't good, Jack Hughes is coming our way or Capo Caco. <laughs> I have no problem with that. Or even a Dylan Cousins at this point. So I, I'm not a whole lot of worried about the Rangers. And I don't think we'll, these next three games we're going to really learn anything new. So I think we can kind of shoehorn this odd Rick Nash story into Rangers news, considering that's where. Spent he a lot of time in his career. Spent a lot sure. of time in his career. Had the best years. Had probably not the best years, but he had some good years with the Rangers before moving on to uh, to Boston, and now he's a free agent. So there was a tweet this morning of a report saying that Rick Nash was done. He's filing his papers for retirement, and people are ready to celebrate his career. And then a little bit later, his agent responds to this report saying he's not retiring. And it's been their plan since free agency started to wait and see 
if a contender will come and offer him something and he can go and play and make another run at a Stanley Cup. So I, I guess this is a twofold question. I guess we can start with what do what does Rick Nash realistically have left? And then I we can move into what is his lasting legacy we can I, I can I can call it. So Jack, what those two questions what should he be doing now and what has he been? Well I think first in terms of now, if he's signed by a team, I think what he has left in the tank all depends upon when he is signed. If the guy takes the whole year off and is having trouble getting healthy, is signed over the summer, he's going to be going into next training camp having not played for more than a year. He'll be 35 by that time. A 35-year-old guy who was banged up last season, not playing for another more than a year, that's going to be really tough for him to adjust. And it just feels like the NHL gets faster each and every year. And for a guy who at the latter part of his career was not noted for his speed, it's going to be really hard for him to adjust in a game that's getting increasingly younger and faster. So I do think that there will be interest in him just because his name is Rick Nash. But I don't know how effective he can really be and what he can legitimately bring to a team besides possibly some experience or leadership. So he could maybe fill a nice role on a young team that is looking for something like that. But on a contender, I have a hard time seeing him be a legitimate skater who can really help the team. In terms of his legacy, I think of him as someone who the highs in his career weren't overly high and the lows in his career were pretty low. Vanishing in the playoffs, Mm -hmm. not being able to finish in big moments. I understand if you're a fan in Columbus that he basically single-handedly led them to their first playoff appearance. So he's going to be a, a legend in Ohio. I wouldn't even be surprised if they retired his number there in, in coming years. He was really their first big franchise player. But as a mostly a Rangers fan who saw most of his career in New York, he's a guy who the first image in my head, I have three or four different distinct memories of him missing a wide-open net and a big chance. So <laughs> that kind of just tells you all you need to know about him. Yeah, I mean... Here's the thing. I, I think he'll he'll always be underappreciated for what he did in New York because I mean, in the end, he was still he was still a really good player here. And I mean, four twenty plus goal seasons. Obviously, was put up forty two in the year they went to the conference final in fourteen fifteen. But I think like like uh, Jack mentioned, I mean, he, he's he's always going to be remembered. Unfortunately, for that game five overtime missed when he had a chance to win the game on a stick and the puck somehow managed to hit an L.A. Kings stick in front. And obviously we know how that ended, which I'm not going to go into any further. But <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, I think he'll always unfortunately be remembered for that because he was a really productive player here. And uh, again, people always call him the $7.8 million penalty killer, which he kind of ended up being towards the end of his career. I mean, the the, fat, the last two or three years, he was, on, which scoring chance-wise, he, his numbers were there, just the finishing wasn't, unfortunately. But how he'll be remembered, I, I think... Lot, the career path reminds me a lot of what Marion Gabrick did, just with, for lack of a better comparison, because, I mean, was a fixture in Minnesota for a while, then comes to New York, has two really good years there, and then the difference between Gabrick is he was a monster in the playoffs in fourteen in 13-14 when Rick Nash wasn't, and it was obvi- honestly the difference between L.A. winning a cup and the Rangers coming out on top in that Stanley Cup, you could argue. So I, I think... I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. I think he's one who is close and maybe will get some votes, but I don't see him as a guy who ends up in Toronto 
at some point. I just, I, but he's he's a great player, like you said. I mean, if he came back now, he's probably a middle six player. I think. Do you think he gets signed this season? I think he's going to retire personally. I think he really cares about his health issues, which I got to give him a lot of credit for. A lot of people don't see the light in that and going out on a high note, so to speak. But I think he's done in the NHL, unfortunately. And it's a shame because I think he still could be a very productive player. He's a good penalty killer, as I mentioned. He plays a 200 foot game, and he still has some offensive flair in him. He could put up 20 goals if he's playing at his best. But I don't think he's any more than what a second or third line guy on a pretty good team at this point and that's if he signs this year if he waits a year who knows what happens but tough tough way to see him go out but a good player who will will probably be remembered in rangers land not as for not as good as he was unfortunately but really good player as i mentioned so who knows maybe he pulls a craig smith retires and then his team convinces him to come back in in january play a few games and then be there for a playoff run and maybe contribute craig smith more like a Mike Fisher. Oh, Mike thinking. Fisher. Gonna... That's what I was thinking. <laughs> I thought it was Craig Smith for some reason. He just seems like that kind of guy. Sorry, it is Mike Fisher. Come um, on, Matt. Uh, it's been a long week. <laughs> the, the, and it's only Tuesday. These MLB playoffs have been killing me recently. <laughs> um, let's move on to the Islanders. They, they've they gone off to a decent start for themselves. They they won opening night in Carolina in overtime, dropped their, first, their home opener to Nashville, and then came back on Columbus Day, shutting out San Jose for nothing. That is actually three of their. They only have two home games so far, and they have one left this entire month against Florida on October twenty fourth. The rest they're on the road for. So it makes for a tough travel month, and the teams they're playing are one, two, three, four, five playoff teams, six playoff teams in this month. So we're going to learn a lot from the Islanders, and I know we were talking before the show, Jack, that this is something that it probably is not sustainable. I mean, four goals against San Jose, three goals against Nashville. I get that they have some guys to put up points. I think Barzell, Bailey, and Anders Lee, who was named the captain in lieu of John Tavares leaving for Toronto. Um, they have guys that can put up points, but is it enough? Just no, because I'm thinking late in the game, you're looking for that cold-blooded sniper to get it done, and the Islanders have played well as a unit, and I guess you could go to Barzell, but really, there's no veteran guy to go to. Barzell's still young, and what about that sophomore slump? We don't know. The season is still young. I'm looking in terms of the overarching course of the year. I'm not sure I can really depend upon this team to be reliable. They they obviously weren't reliable last season with Tavares. Now, they filled some holes, but then they obviously lost him. So I don't see how you can see how they'd be improved over last year. And they missed the playoffs last year. So, no, I don't think it's sustainable. And how about one other little thing I noticed about the Isles? So, obviously, they go on a West Coast swing next week. They have some home games. But did you guys watch those home games in Brooklyn? They drew 12,000 in their home opener and then 8,000, which was their all-time low on Monday. 8,000 fans. How can You can't even call that a home game. To That's that, got to be demoralizing. To that point, I went to an Islanders game at the Barclays Center my freshman year here. A, it, it, was, it was basically empty. And B, it might be the worst place to watch a hockey game. There's so many blocked fields of vision all over that place. I don't know why anyone would go. And that's Defin- a great point. Definitely ja- not what you want. Jackson, we talked a lot last season about their goaltending issues, 
and the constant rotation between Thomas Grice and Yarrow Halak, who's now gone. But they brought in Robin Lehner, who in his own own right is a starting goaltender. What are what are they thinking? Are they okay running this two goalie system, or is it like we said last year? Do they just need to pick a guy and stick with him? I th- I think it's going to be even more of a two goalie system this year, just because I mean I think they want Laner to be the guy. I just don't think he, the talent is there for him to do that. And also, I mean Gr- Grice is off to a great start this year. I can't fault him. I mean obviously the shutout against San Jose, and he was really good in the opener against Carolina to say the least. But I I do think this is going to be another year in which it's kind of a back and forth, which it's it's troubling because I mean the you don't know you don't know who and what you're going to be getting in the in between the sticks, and that's obviously not what you want. But on the Islanders, I mean there there are bright spots there, and I know I know they're kind of in a weird spot because you don't really know what exactly they're what direction they're going to be going in because. I think it's more of a rebuild, but you never know with Lou Lamarillo there what exactly he wants to do, particularly with all the old guys they added this offseason. But, hey, I mean, Matt Barzell, I think, is going to be a top-five player by the end of this year in this league. I think he's that good. And, obviously, you have talent in Anders Lee. It would be, it'd be really funny if he ends up walking after being named the captain because, I mean, he is a UFA after this year. And Bailey's there as well. So they, they do have some talent there. Again, I don't think they're going to win a whole lot of games. This year, but there there is some excitement there. I think Barzell, honestly, like I, I legitimately think he's a guy who can end up at the end of the year as a top three Hart Trophy candidate. That that's just the, t- the that's how talented I think he is. He's the best skater I've seen in, in this league outside of Connor McDavid, and he certainly has the vision and the puck skills there to be reminiscent of what McDavid can do. Obviously, more of a light version in that aspect, but I just think he he is so much fun to watch. I mean, he does everything on the ice. He finds space with the puck, and obviously his vision is off the charts. So I think that's that's the one thing that's really going to be making the season not dreadful to watch. But, hey, I mean, listen, it's a, good, it's a good start for them. I don't think it will continue, however. So we're going to move on to the Devils now, and there's not really much to talk about. They've only played one game so far, mm-hmm. and it was in Sweden. They beat the Oilers 5-2. They looked great. They looked fast. They, Taylor Hall looked as good as he was last season. Nico Hiche looked really good. Uh, Kyle Palmieri showed up. Miles Wood looked good. Every, everyone did their job. Now it's now they're getting into a stretch that's incredibly difficult. Mm. As as we talked about with the Islanders not having a lot of home games, the Devils are actually coming home, opening up on Thursday against the Capitals. And that's the beginning of a four-game homestand for them. San Jose, Dallas, Colorado. And then you get Philly, back at home for Nashville and Florida, and then you close them off with Tampa Bay. That is such a difficult month. Every team is a playoff team besides Florida, and they were right there. So while it's nice to see the team perform against Edmonton, Edmonton's not that great as we as we saw last season and as we're kind of seeing now. Corey Schneider's still not back. There's rumors he might be playing against the Capitals, might not. So in that case, they're going to go back with Keith Kincaid. What what is the rest of this month gonna look like for the Devils? I think that's the question everyone's looking for at this point, and the answer is yet to be found, to be honest, because, I mean, obviously they looked good against Edmonton. I know it's a tough stretch of games, but in the end, they're 
what is it, six of eight are at home or some or something crazy like that. So I think it's going to be hard to get a read exactly what the Devils are after this month because even though they are playing good teams, obviously playing at the Prudential Center is a lot different than going on the road and playing San Jose and playing Dallas and playing Colorado, Nashville, Florida, etc. So I, I honestly don't think we're going to know a whole lot unless the Devils really sputter here in the, in this month. I think I think it's a Fair estimate to see them going near 500, possibly a little over, considering these games are at home. But like I said, I, I just don't think we're going to learn a whole lot about the Devils because when we need to learn about the Devils is when Corey Schneider's playing at his best, when he's healthy, when Taylor Hall's at his best. What does this team look like at that point? That That's when I really want to learn about what the Devils are, and I just don't think we're going to get the opportunity to really see what they're made of in this first month of October. It's really going to be when that we hit and they hit the road for the first time. I mean, their first road game comes on the road at Tampa. Their first real test comes at Tampa, and then they have what looks, I think it's a seven-game road stint after that, which is pretty crazy. And again, Winnipeg, Toronto, Pittsburgh, and Tampa, as I mentioned, along with Detroit, the Islanders, and Ottawa. So that's when I think we're really going to find out a lot about the Devils when Schneider's healthy and things are clicking for that top line of Heischer, Palmieri, and Hall. That's when we're really going to learn a lot more about the Devils. Yeah, and I just think of the Devils last season. They got off to a 9-2 and start, and that really gave them the ability to keep their heads above water the entire season because they had some times midway through the season late where they were really sputtering. But starting off the season seven games over five hundred, that gave them the ability to do that and then obviously still make the playoffs. And now when you look at this schedule... That next eight games, as you guys have noted, are really difficult. I think four and four, if you come out of that, I think you you have to be satisfied with that just based on the opponents. And it doesn't lighten up very much. You do have a pair of games against Detroit, a pair of games against the Islanders, but you got two more against the Lightning. You have another against Pittsburgh. So it's not it, this is a really tough part of the season, and it's not at a great time for the Devils when you compare it to last season, how the start of their season propelled them into the playoffs, really. If they come out of this, say, October-November stretch kind of treading a little bit above water, it might be hard to continue to build momentum if this season goes the same way as it did last year. I think that losing Jesper, Jesper Brad, I, again, the the hard J, soft J switch from <laughs> Man, these really Swedes. They can't just decide to switch it up on us after all these years. Jesper Brett went down with a fractured jaw, broken jaw, one of the two. He took a puck that rebounded off the post in practice and ended up sustaining his jaw injury. I think it's anywhere from four to six weeks he's going to be out, which isn't great. They're losing a top six forward, a power play guy that got off to a really, really good start last year and then obviously kind of hit a rookie wall and was not as productive down the stretch, but a lot of people were looking for him to kind of take the next step this year. So it's going to be interesting to see how they replace him in the top six and what he's going to look like when he comes back. One thing I'm not happy about is Will Butchers playing down the third line with Ben Lovejoy. You're kind of losing him in your top six defense group. He is still getting first-line power play time, which is good, but I want to see him out on the ice more. I think that's more of a product of Will Butcher not really being that good, to be completely honest. Yeah? I, I don't th- I, I'm not a huge fan of Butcher, to be completely honest. I, I think he can be a guy who's pretty good on the power play, but I think at 5v5, his, still his, defense, his work in his defensive zone concerns me a little bit, and 
I just think I think last year kind of reminds me of Brady Shea's rookie year a little bit where the points were there. I, I think we could t- see a step back. Obviously, I think Brady Shea's a better talent than Will Butcher is at this point, but I think we're going to see a step, a little bit of a step back. I mean, obviously, I don't think anyone's expecting him to replicate what he did last year, point-wise in particular. But I, I'm just, I, I don't think Butcher's particularly good. I think he's a middle, he's maybe a top four guy. I think he's more suited on a third pair for any team, for a competitive team. I just, I'm, I'm not a huge buyer in Will Butcher, just to be completely honest with you. That's where I stand on him. So in the in the time we have left here, let's kind of move into some teams that have gotten off to some really hot starts that we may not have seen coming, some that we have that we did see coming, and then we'll talk about some teams that are underperforming out of the gates. Jack, for you, who was a team that has gotten off to a to a good start for you? Well, I really like what I've seen from the Blackhawks on offense in terms of Taves and Kane. They've scored nine goals, nine of the team's fifteen goals in their first three games. That's a lot. I, what yeah, I don't like... That is a lot. <laughs> I mean, it's cool to see those two veteran household names and hockey fans continue to produce. What I don't like is Cam Ward and goal, and we still he's, have he's no idea when Corey Crawford is coming back. It was rumored October 28th, and Joel Quenneville shot that down at a press conference last night. So he's still up in the air. With Cam Ward as your starter, you've allowed 4.7 goals per game for three your first three. And I get that it's only three games, but there's nothing about Cam Ward's work this season or in really the last two or three seasons that would lead you to believe that he can be a starting goaltender on a legitimate contender. I also am a little shaky on the Blackhawks' bottom six. They haven't really played those guys that much, and of the not the other six goals that Taves and Kane have not scored, they've only scored two of them. So you're putting a lot of workload on your two best players, and I really like what I've seen from, from them so far. But is it sustainable? You don't have the depth that the old Hawks had that won three cups, and obviously you don't have Corey Crawford between the pipes. So there's a couple things that need to be cleaned up. I think you said it perfectly with them. Um, I, I'm not a buyer in Chicago for the reasons you mentioned that – they have Kane, they have Taze, they have a little bit of star power there, but outside of it, it's not a whole lot, to be honest. I mean, def- their their defense is pretty pretty disgusting to look at outside of, really, Duncan Keith. And, again, an- another guy, I'm not even going to bother with the Swedish pronunciation, but I know he had, their rookie's defenseman had, I think it's like Joe Crew or something, he had three assists the other night. But I- I'm, I'm not even going to bother. I'm, I'm focused on Carolina because... This is a team I thought was going to be a playoff team this year in our preview, and they've certainly looked the part early on. Their one loss coming in overtime to the Islanders, in which they outshot them forty-six to eighteen, and Yikes. they've always been a, they've always been one of those Corsi machines that have always been really good in terms of shot metrics. But now, in the first three games I've seen of them, the quality is there. I mean, there's so much talent there. Rod Brindamore, the new head coach there has these guys playing with more authority, so to speak. I mean, they're get they're getting good chances and I mean, you look at the talent there, there's a lot of speed outside of Jordan Stahl and Justin Williams, who actually managed to be one of their better lines without really the foot speed that they used to have for sure. But I mean, Sebastian Ajo I think is gonna really become a superstar this year. You look at Tuvo Taravainen, who had a great year last year. I think he's going to take even further strides. Obviously, you have Sveshnikov, who I picked as my rookie of the year. And then the top four defensively is tremendous. I mean, in Justin Falk, Dougie Hamilton, who's one of the more underrated defenders in the league, Jacob Slavin, Calvin DeHaan. There are, the pieces are there for them, for sure. 
it's really just about them staying healthy, I think, and getting the goaltending. And I, I think they they will they will get enough goaltending at some point where the, this team's going to be a playoff team this year. For me, I'm going to go with Anaheim. I know that everyone expects them to be good, but they're off to a 3-0 start, and Jakob Stilferberg has five points, which is kind of insane in three games. And it's, he's really good. Uh, Max Comtois, three points, three games. Old, old friend Adam Henrique, three points, three games. They're getting a lot of production out of a lot of guys, but I think this team is going to really live or die with John Gibson, who I think is establishing himself as a top-five goalie in this league if he wasn't already with these first three games. I mean, he has a one 1.30 uh, goals against average and a 9.58 save percentage. That's out of this world. That I mean, it's obviously unsustainable. But G- Gibson's great too. I can't. I I think he's a Vesna caliber goaltender. But I, I, like you said, that's obviously not sustainable. Their shot metrics are going to have to take a big yeah. step forward if they want to be competitive whatsoever. And I know a lot of people were concerned about their scoring without Corey Perry, but it looks like they're doing just fine. And real quick, uh, we'll start with Jackson. Who's a team that has not performed up to standards so far? Vegas. I, I yep. Definitely Vegas was the team I was looking at because, I mean, it just seems like the honeymoon period is over from the expansion, although it took a little longer than we expected. Finally, some bounces aren't going their way, and I can't say I'm too upset about it, to be completely honest, even though they were a great story last year, but I think I think they're going to go through some growing pains this year with a new, not to say new roster, but they added some different pieces in there, including Pacioretty and Stasny, that it's going to take a little while for them to adjust to a new system, and I just think it's going to take some time for them to really get their legs going. Obviously, they played late in the year, obviously, into June. I just think it might take them a little bit more time than people are expecting for them to really get their legs going. Yeah, in terms of Vegas, we talk about that Stanley Cup hangover. Like I said before the show, the Capitals have had the same core together for a number of years. That hangover isn't going to have as much of an effect as it is on a bunch of random guys being pulled together into a random city at once. So I'll agree with you on that. And then Pittsburgh, I'm a little concerned now that Murray's injured and he wasn't even good when he started between the pipes. So those are two teams. Most overrated goalie in hockey is Matt Murray. And for me, I'm going to go with the San Jose Sharks. They they don't look like they really know who they are yet. Pete DeBoer is talking about throwing Eric Carlson on a forward line, which does not make any sense. I mean, you saw what happened with Brett Burns as soon as he moved from being a forward to a defenseman he realizes potential just leave these guys where they are let them play the positions they know how to play and just like that we are out of time for jack caldwell jackson heil i'm matt costantini come back next week